0: Welcome to Score Podcast. In this show we discuss the responsibility of sports for and within society. What impact should sport have on our world? Can sport do
1: more? Who is responsible? To address these questions, we focus on possible solutions and desired scenarios. We break our discussion down in four parts. First, we describe the current situation. Second, we draw the ideal future scenario. Third, we plan how to reach this future. And then we call for action. And we are your hosts today, Donata Taddea and... Alexandra or Sasha Volkova.
0: Today, we discuss the responsibility of the cities in making their populations physically more active and therefore healthier. Specifically, we will focus on the Middle East, a region with a fast-growing interest in sports and sport events. And for this conversation, we invited Hisham Shehabi, who is connecting from Washington, D.C. Welcome, Hisham, to SCORE podcast.
2: Thank you, Sasha. Thank you, Donata. Lovely to be here with you.
1: Hisham is Founder and Chief Operating Officer of Next Sports, an agency focusing on digital innovations in sports. Prior to starting his own company, Hisham worked for the International Olympic Committee in various roles. And before that, he also worked for the Bahrain Olympic Committee and Bahrain Economic Development Board. Hisham is also an Olympian. In 2004, he swam for the Bahrain National Team at the Athens Olympics.
0: And we are very happy to have you with us today, Hisham. And with this being said, I suggest
1: we start our conversation. Hisham, let's establish a common ground. We know that cities in the Middle East have been growing rapidly over the past few decades. And recent urban infrastructure developments make cities less convenient for pedestrians and discourage people from walking around active lifestyle seems to be compromised in the region. At the same time, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia and other countries are hosting a lot of international sports events and therefore building giant sports facilities. How do you feel about this?
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's connected to the historical development of the region, you know, which um, about uh, 70 to 100 years ago, discovered oil. Uh, for the first time. And this led to a huge economic development uh, of the region, which put money into citizens' pockets. And whereas they used to live in smaller and more central and better urbanly planned um, locations, they moved out into bigger houses and that created the development that you see uh, in the region. Yeah, So a lot of the uh, people of uh, these countries that you mentioned actually live outside of the center, and that didn't used to be the case. So whereas they used to live in smaller communities with great urban spaces, where they could just be physically active by the nature of the the day-to-day activities, uh, today they need to seek out those physical activities uh, by driving to locations, driving to uh, destinations, to programs that are not within their area. So. Um, I think I'm I'm glad to see that there's a big focus on sports. Uh, in my opinion, there is maybe too much of a focus on the elite uh, sports side, uh, on attracting events, on attracting uh, clubs and teams from from abroad. Whereas there should be a balance on focusing on on lifestyles, on sports participation, grassroots which as we all know in sports is uh, one of the main drivers for elite performance is to have actually the right sports pyramid, right? So um, again, I'm encouraged, but at the same time, I believe there could be a better balanced struck with the focus on grassroots sports.
0: So in a nutshell, where do we stand with the physical activities of, uh, of citizens now? Like what do people do there daily or weekly to be healthy and active?
2: So if you look at any of the global uh, organizations that cover the region, so like the World Health Organization, for example, all of the indications are that physical activity is is very low in the region. Uh, And the uh, result of this is uh, a high level of uh, non-communicable diseases. So diabetes actually is, so seven out of the top 10 countries in the world are actually in the Middle East. And this is uh, due to, again, what I mentioned before, whereas people used to have activity as part of their day today, uh, now it is not. And at the same time, you had a change in the diet for many of these societies, which has led to uh, the diabetes pandemic that, that is there. Yeah. So uh, today you'll find um, everything is, is is a personal effort. It doesn't come naturally to go into sports and to do physical activity on a daily basis. Uh, It happens outside and usually far away from where you actually spend your day, uh, going to work and spending time with family. Usually sports is not within that physical space. You need to actually go beyond that. So you see, um, I, I wouldn't call it like a fad per se, but every few years there's a specific sport that takes hold. And I can speak from... My country, Bahrain, where over the years I volunteered at a lot of uh, sports events, organizing uh, grassroots running events, triathlon events, and multi-sports events. Uh, running and triathlon were really growing quite a lot, I would say, in the last ten years, uh, leading up to the pandemic. Since then, uh, paddle, uh, which is you know a, a, a racket sport, has taken hold and grown uh, exponentially. And now you see also like a supply that. Over saturated the market uh, in Bahrain specifically, even though like in other countries, it seems to be catching up uh, because people found it to be a great place to hang out. Yeah, so it was a good social setting. It was a good place for um, for friends to meet up outside of um, outside of like um, the cinema or going out to restaurants or going out. And it's at also night.
0: indoors, no paddle sports, so
2: it yeah, helped. exactly. You have you have both actually. You have a lot of outdoor paddle paddle courts as well. And uh I, I think you know, just commenting on that specifically, the social aspect is very important to consider because unlike many other regions in the world, youth in the region live in their parents' homes until they are married. Yeah. And so you have people leading up to their 30s, um, maybe sometimes even older. That are living at home, meaning that they don't have spaces really to hang out with their friends as much, which means they always need to go out to hang out. So these used to be shisha bars, uh, like hookah. So they go to smoke, play cards, um, and so on, and board games and watch TV, some specific like uh, football leagues in in Europe. Uh, But now these spaces have emerged where you have another place to hang out as a youth, And so that's why I think there is a lot of appetite uh, for this right now.
1: So Hisham, how have these spaces emerged? Um, Is it uh, the cities uh, doing something to promote physical activity for the citizens?
2: No, typically the cities have not taken on a leadership role. Uh, Cities are not empowered. Uh, In places like Bahrain, at least, you have uh, more like a central government and the ministries are the ones that are pushing things now the physical activity agenda or portfolio is not really uh, owned by any one single ministry yeah so that makes it difficult to then hold anybody accountable for it so with the case of paddle or with uh, running and triathlon as i mentioned earlier it's community led yeah it's uh, it's a group of people usually that uh, that assemble that organize events that start to uh, formalize a structure, and then that provides the impetus for for launching and, and getting other people excited. Uh, in other countries, now you see that being more centralized within government. And you see provinces, you see emirates, you know, we can talk about Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the activities they do, you see cities in Saudi also taking that on. Uh, so now I think the city is is waking up to the responsibility that they need to do. But it really is driven by, I would say, central government and more like the ministries at the national level.
0: That's very interesting. But do you know of any initiatives uh, from different cities or governments, state governments as well, to promote uh, physical activity within within their cities? Can you give us some examples maybe that exist now? Or even some examples from all over the world that you could uh, kind of look up to?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So in the last few years, um, there's been uh, a few countries that have started their National Sports Day. So Bahrain is one of them, uh, and they did it, I think it's around February of every year. Now, uh, different countries in the region also do that. There's quite a few of them. And this usually is a day where all of society is coming together to be active, yeah, and to talk about sports and to be active in sports. And what's interesting about this day specifically is because it's a national sports day, it means the private, like private sector companies, public sector companies, all take part. They all organize events for their staff, and again, staff means usually parents means young families, and this creates the culture of sports. You know, so uh, th- that's an a, I, I would say a beneficial uh, platform. Uh, But it's, in my opinion, it's not used as like, there's no real buildup towards it and like a 365 view on how we use that platform, but more, it's about the day itself and celebrating it, which is, which is fine. I think there just needs to be a bit more connected uh, connection between that platform and others. In Abu Dhabi, you have as well, uh, like a recent platform that was launched called Abu Dhabi 360, which is about getting people active as it sounds all days of the year. And uh, it ties in with Abu Dhabi wanting to be one of the leading uh, cities in the world for uh, livability and being active and sustainable and family friendly. You know, so this was driven by the Abu Dhabi Sports Council, but uh, in direct uh, contact with and support of the central government.
0: And which initiatives from all around the world, I don't know, Europeans or Americans, et cetera, would you consider as a reference for you, for the Middle East uh, countries? Are you aware of any projects that you would say that uh, that's interesting, that could be easily implemented at our place?
2: Yeah, I I think for for the Middle East, there's always an interest in um, celebrity-led type of um, activities and initiatives anything that is brought uh and quote unquote from abroad especially like the west is is held in, in in high regard uh that used to be the trend you know but nowadays um i believe that there is um an understanding you know within the society of the importance of physical activity and this was maybe heightened because of covid Uh, People understood how important it was to be physically active. They found time and spaces to do so because everybody had to be outside and uh, kind of like away from each other in terms of distance. And so this led uh, to people being uh, more conscious about the importance of being uh, physically active. So I I can't point out specific um, initiatives from, from a global sense, but those are the, some of the characteristics, I would say, that um, really would work in the Middle East.
1: Isham, I would like to go back to the idea of community-led initiatives and also the health uh, situation. You are also co-founder of Diabetes uh, Point BH, a portal that works with education in the prevention of management of diabetes and provides support to the network of diabetes community. So with, with your experience in this field, what is the situation with this, with this disease now? Is it still growing? Uh, and what are the solutions the states offer to the citizens?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's still growing. Um, one of the main reasons we actually launched this project was initially we wanted to focus on developing a, a, an initiative to include blind people. In society, a bit more. Once we dug into the cause of uh, blindness, we realized that diabetic retinopathy was one of the leading causes of 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 blindness around the world, but specifically in the region. And so that led us. Yeah.
0: That's really impressive.
2: Yeah, it's quite. uh, It was quite. Yeah, eye opening. uh, Excuse the the pun there, but. We uh, realized that diabetes was something we needed to research a bit more before launching any initiative at the time. And so we dug in and we realized there was no stats. Uh, There was no transparency around data. And uh, we started to talk to so many stakeholders, including the Bahrain Diabetes Society at the time, and nobody seemed to have a good handle on, on the numbers. So we did our own research and we tapped into global resources and basically... Uh, 70% of people who have diabetes in, in Bahrain at the time did not know they have diabetes. And that's a, a number which is 3 out of 10. Yeah? So you have about one-fifth of the population that has diabetes and doesn't know it. So it's a, it's a huge problem. And uh, it was not being uh, actively and I would say proactively addressed by government. Yeah? It's always like treatment rather than prevention. And uh, sports, I believe, is a very low cost tool for prevention of such diseases and a disease that is very expensive for government. Yeah. Especially in a place like Bahrain and many um, countries in the Middle East where the government takes on the responsibility of the health care of its citizens fully. Uh, you would think it's a no brainer, right? But uh, that's not the case. Sports is not seen as that tool. And with diabetes itself, it's uh, more, um, and this is where the connection with the Middle East happens with the global movement for these initiatives is that they rely on resources from the International Diabetes Federation, for example, to talk about World Diabetes Day on November 14 every year. But there's no 365 plan around that. There's no integrative coordination between government ministries on how to deal with uh, and prevent diabetes. You know, so again, it's more like checking boxes. Like, okay, we're doing this and we show up on the International Diabetes Federation's website as doing that blue circle on November 14 every year. But there's nothing really substantial beyond that.
1: So if there is nothing substantial around that, uh, is the private sector more involved? Is there any partnership, public-private sector that is being established or not at all?
0: Or like seeing this connection between uh, doing sports or using sports as a prevention tool.
2: Yeah, the, the like I said, there is awareness. Um, corporations um, are increasingly wanting to retain their employees. They realize like a holistic lifestyle is how to do that and providing ways for them to be active is a way to do that as well. There's a lot of corporate leagues that come out, um, a lot of companies that sponsor athletes, for example, um, which is growing, you know, and it's, it's a growing trend, I would say. But the private sector seems to follow the lead of government in, in the sense that they will associate with initiatives that they know will position themselves in better regard with government. So uh, we have uh, something in the region, which is, is, I haven't seen in many places in the world called patronage, uh, which uh, lends basically the name of a person, uh, usually a royal person or somebody of like a distinguished profile. From society to an event or to an initiative yeah, and there is this um i think the private sector knows that that's how you get seen and so they associate themselves with initiatives that are already packed you know under the patronage of people that they want to impress or people they want to do business with or people they want to have influence with you know so that's um how private sector responds and it's that's kind of like a behavior in the middle east that again i have not seen in in many other places.
0: Moving a little bit from that uh, subject, but staying within the overall uh, theme, um, Qatar and Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates are hosting major sport events recently or will host uh, including mass participations like marathons and big events like World Cups or Asian Games. How do these events, in your opinion, affect the local population in terms of like physical activity? Are there any impact measuring tools or mechanisms implemented by the governments or cities that would allow them to monitor the, the impact or effect of these events?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good point. And um, something that has been negatively perceived, I think, by the international community uh, for a long time, especially in the last few years, as more and more events are coming, so, um, in Saudi, I know specifically that there is uh, a program under Vision 2030 called Quality of Life Programme. And this Quality of Life Programme is, as it sounds, about improving the, the quality of life of citizens and residents. And one of those is sports, and one of those is entertainment. And on the sports side, uh, they want to provide more and more opportunities to engage as a fan, as an audience, with these types of events, you know, you don't need to go to Europe to see the best in the world. You can actually see it in your hometown. Uh, and on the flip side of the coin, to get more active. yeah. And once you see them, you believe you can act in that way. So this is the, let's say, the philosophy. Now, who is in charge of making that connection is really the sports sector. The sports sector led by the Ministry of Sports, the Saudi Olympic Committee, and then, as we all know, the national federations for each sport are in charge of the whole sports pyramid. Yes, they need to bring medals, but they need to be the ones connecting all of these major events and private actors, let's say coming in to all of the grassroots that need to be developed. So you have uh, some federations that do it well, but most of them just don't have the capacity uh, to do that. And if you look at their operational KPIs, which is something that is done once a year, the national federations are not evaluated on that metric specifically. Yeah, They're not evaluated on the number of people that they get into the lower part of the pyramid. Um, so again, it's not like um, there's a stick in place yet for this type of metric, but indeed it is It is tracked by, by government, by this quality of life program. So on a quarterly basis, they do have uh, the percentage of the population that takes part in two activities a week of 30 minutes at least. And so that has been increasing significantly. And obviously that part of it is driving participation up, but part of it is the fact that they are now relaxing regulations and maybe the cultural view to women participating, you know. So that's been another reason there's been a, a spike, let's say, in the number of active uh, participants.
0: That's actually good news. No, <laughs> I think um, it is pretty clear what's going on today, right, Donata? Yeah, indeed. Okay, and um, now I think it's time to jump to the second part of our conversation, the desired future.
1: Hisham, where have you brought us to? Can you describe to us your ideal future?
2: So uh, the Middle East has a very young population. Yeah, uh, Many of the countries have um, a pear-shaped population uh, uh, demographic pyramid today you know there's a lower number of um, aged people whereas the let's say the people between 20 and 50 will grow to be the old people in the next 20 years you know so for me uh, the ideal future is not too far from now it's it's more like an existential situation because if we don't get this group of people to be healthy in the coming 20 years then these governments and these people will have uh, very bad quality of life towards the end of their life. So my ideal future is one where this uh, group of people uh, t- becomes empowered, proactive around uh, physical activity. And I, I don't say sports. I think it's important to make that distinction because people feel like sports is sometimes not accessible, whereas physical activity should be just a part of how you do your day. Yeah, it shouldn't be something you need to go out of your day to do. Correct. So for me, very,
0: very important point here. Agreed. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Because um, if, if people feel it's approachable, it's achievable, it's something that I need, I can do and I don't need to uh, have like huge muscles for, I think it makes it more likely that we'll get more and more people uh, to do this. So uh, that is maybe not an ideal future per se, but to explain to you uh, kind of like the ticking time bomb we have in front of us in the Middle East. Um, yeah. I would, say, I would stop there.
0: <laughs> it's fine. Uh, just describe for us, what does it mean an active city in this future of yours? What do you see around?
2: So an active city is one where um, all segments of population are, are moving as, as part of their daily routine. Um, that sports uh, facilities are, are within reach, are accessible and affordable to 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 all, and uh, that the uh, percentage of the population that is dealing with obesity or noncommunicable diseases, or all the, let's say the the threats uh, from having obesity, you know, like uh, heart failure and blood pressure and so on, that the these are reduced significantly, you know. So this is uh, the ideal state, I think, for me of an active city. Uh, it is one driven by data. It's one driven by by KPIs that we can track. Um, and and those are things that I think today we we have the tools for, uh, and we just need to make sure that we're building systems, building facilities, building programs that have data at the center of them, uh, because that's how we can push this forward. So
1: a city driven by data, but who drives data? Uh, Who is leading these initiatives?
2: Yeah, I think you need to have, again, um, like that community-led community led Peace is, is very important. Uh, the Middle East is uh, is an Islamic region, and with Islam comes a lot of let's say institutions. You know, so you have your mosques, you have your um, matams You know, for the Shiri population, uh, all of them are places of congregation that have in them uh, and like a, an opportunity to influence. Yeah, so. For example, there are campaigns that are uh, Ramadan-related. Yeah, Ramadan is a period of fasting every year, uh, which talk about different themes every year. Sometimes it's about uh, eating less or wasting less food, and sometimes it's about uh, connecting with neighbors or connecting with your community. And I think there are, there is space to uh, push messages about being healthy and being active as well. You know, so. Um, I believe it's not one group that needs to drive this. It needs to be many different instruments that impact the daily life of of people. And some people are religious, some people are not. So any tool we have, and I'll give you an example here with um, one of the religious periods of the year called Muharram, which is more like celebrated or like remembered because it's not really a celebration. It's a mourning period for the Shia population. They congregate at these matams, yeah, for uh, a period of about twelve days, yeah, where they uh, eat a lot of food. Yeah, there's lunch always, there's snacks and there's dinners, and usually all of this food is is very bad, yeah, in terms of a diet. Yeah, it's very fatty, oily, uh, sugary, uh, sodas, soft drinks, etc. So starting and and these are all provided by central kitchens so if you could influence these kitchens to say you are impacting uh, thousands tens of thousands of people uh, on the way they eat and they perceive a good meal is then these are kind of instruments we could use you know so i think there are many levers that need to be un- unplugged here so diet being one physical activity being another and then sports being another you know so um ideally you'd have some sort of connection between the three
0: I still want to bring you back to the dreaming part, dreaming about our ideal future. Um, what do you think should be urbanistic solutions in your, let's call it ideal city? So how do you see it, especially considering that the region is very hot, there are months that you, during some certain months, you can't be outside during the day, et cetera. So from urbanistic perspective, how do you see this?
2: Yeah, I, I, that's a very good point. And I think the, um, you know, the and, and just an anecdote, uh, so Ramadan um, happens every year, but changes 11 days forward on the Gregorian calendar because the lunar calendar is shorter. And so a few years ago, Ramadan was happening in July and August in Bahrain. And uh, we were still uh, organizing running events in that period right before breaking fast. Yeah, So it's 50 degrees outside and you haven't eaten or drank all day but you still go for a run right before breaking fast. And this was a group of like 50 people who got together to do this. It sounds crazy, but uh, this region is also used to living in this temperature. They're used to being outside, they're used to doing stuff outside. And while there are many hours of the day that are really difficult, there are many hours of the day, even in the hottest months where people do stuff. And I believe, actually I have seen, a lot of people do stuff when there are spaces for them. Yeah, so one example is farmer's markets those have been popping up more and more. And even in hot periods, people go to them. So um, ideally from an urban planning perspective, I would love to see um, the cities that are, or like, let's say more like the residential areas that are being built, to be built with uh, walking and cycling and micro mobility in mind. Uh, And it seems like some of the new developments are thinking like that, but adding to that also a difficulty for driving cars or parking cars in specific places. Something that seems to be the case in Europe because people are still living in the center, they live in apartment buildings and so on. But in in the Middle East, that's not the case. Yeah. So from an urban planning perspective, I'd love to see more spaces without cars, uh, more spaces where bicycles are the normal mode of transportation and that it's not weird seeing people on scooters uh, I mean, the, the two-wheel ones that you stand on, not like a motorcycle type. Not electric, not electric. Well, or electric, one of those. Um, e- even electric, you know. It um, Whilst being on a scooter, you would not uh, exude any physical, like, let's say, calories. Still getting to the scooter and from the scooter to the next place, you would be walking, you know, which today is done by car. So I think, again, you need to introduce... Um, I would love like the ideal state to be where walking is your 10,000 steps a day or whatever that standard is today to be normal for you to go to your groceries, to visit your family, uh, to, um, uh, to go to school, to do your activities after school. All of this needs to integrate those active, the, the steps that you need to do per day. You know, that, that's where I would love for the, the future to be.
0: Yeah, I witnessed in Qatar when the car parked at the parking next to the shopping mall, and then there was a little golf car that would bring people from the parking to the shopping mall, which was like hundred meters um, path, which yeah. was not complex to make by foot, but it's more like a habit, a culture of the car-centric culture there for now. Exactly. Uh, okay. So we talked about talking about physical activity, not sports. So you see people more moving, walking between locations but what are other uh, solutions that uh, or facilities that would engage or motivate people how do you see that
2: yeah so as i mentioned earlier there's like um it's a muslim culture you know so again i think the religious institutions need to get behind this they need to be supporting the fact that women get active and that they have more spaces to be active today It's being driven by government, which is trying to decouple itself from religious institutions a little bit to, to, to open up. And if you could have, um, um, spaces for women, like separately for, or like times and programs for them specifically, then that would be already a win. Um, then I believe like gyms are, are prohibitive for a large portion of the population whilst the region is, is quite rich. Um, the The majority of the population sits in the, I would say, lower middle class, or like even even lower than that, the lower class. Yeah, and this, if you look at the median range uh, salary, or even like the average salaries in places like Bahrain, they would not be able to afford a membership at a gym. You know, so uh, one thing I really like seeing, for example, here in Washington D.C., is all of these community centers. Yeah, where you have a mix of like senior activities, childcare, swimming pool. Gym, fitness place, education area, computer lab, and library all in one place, fully subsidized by the the government, yeah, the municipality in this case. So, if you had more of those and you have like already a push by like the Ministry of Health in in places like Bahrain, where like there needs to be a certain ratio of doctors per 10,000 people, yeah. So if you were able to provide that ratio as well on the sporting side or the leisure entertainment activity side, then that would be a good push as well. So the, these you need infrastructure, yeah? Especially with the hot months, you need to be uh, allowing people the opportunity and the option to be indoors. Not everybody wants to run in 50 degrees weather and, and, and that's normal.
1: Let's uh, stay on the infrastructure um, idea. But let's move to the digital infrastructures or digital solutions. Uh, what can be the solutions that help motivate people to move, to get active? Tr- just to
0: be said, uh, Donate and I, we had like the whole brainstorming session about various uh, digital solutions uh, for, for the Middle East of the future. But we, w- we would be curious to hear your ideas.
2: Yeah, so I, I think it, it, it touches uh, two, two main areas. One is, I would call it like content. And one is what I would call discoverability. You know? So content, everybody around the world, but in, I, I would say even higher in the Middle East, um, has mobiles. Mobile penetration is, a, is above 100% in the Middle East, meaning a lot of people have more than one phone for personal use. Um, and this means they spend a lot of time on on social media, on WhatsApp, and so on. So you need to have content that is geared towards like sensitizing, if you like, or um, reminding people that physical activity is 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 fun, it's interesting, and give chances for people to share what they have been doing. Yeah, you know? so I think that piece would be important, and this again is done at the at the venue level, at the facility level, uh, and the discoverability piece. I think we've lived all of us around the world in an age where uh, we've been uh, Netflixed, you know where we are suggestible to things that we have not typically been exposed to. yeah, Because we're open now to seeing the next movie, the next series. And so knowing sometimes what is available around you or activities that are happening around you is is, is not easy, even in places that you live. So if you are able to provide uh, the population the opportunity to discover activities uh, that are happening close to them, whether it's in facilities, sports centers, health centers, uh, libraries. Imagine the library next door has uh, a presentation of an Olympian, yeah, an Olympian talking about their expert, uh, experience at the Olympics. How did they go about that? You can bring your kids to it. You know, So this these are the two areas I think would be uh, interesting and important to focus on, like how do you ensure that a lot of content is created around people's activities? And then how do you discover activities that are happening around you? Those those two areas.
0: So talking about discovering activities, um, and, and we are like dreaming here, yeah. Just just to remind, so would it be like an application with push notifications about events related to sport happening around you and with also showing you the facilities, etc.? And if so, who should lead this process? Shall it be uh the city municipality community the state ministry of sport NOA, NOC, et cetera et cetera
2: yeah yeah it's uh, i think in uh, in many c- countries around the world that would be an issue in the middle east i think it's quite simple because um they are secure like states that have very strong security apparatus meaning that they are uh keeping track of and they know where their citizens are at all times and this is all uh linked to your personal i d your national i d Yeah. So because the national ID exists, you can connect it to any number of activities or applications. And so if you had a central uh, entity, and I believe a mix of like the urban planning um, type of ministry, ministry of health, the ministry of sports, they would be the institutions that I think would need to uh, create such a thing um, and bring it to, to, to scale. Yeah, because putting this on the, let's say, shoulders of individual venues would make it difficult. The other way of approaching it is actually having everybody being digitally literate or being able to market digitally in a very good way, which I think actually now, like the youth of the Middle East are very good at. So if you, um, if you give them the chance, I think the youth could probably, um, if they were empowered to work with these centers and these, uh, activity areas, they would be able to promote it very well. But then you'd need to scale that would be a bit difficult. So I think it needs to be government led uh, centrally.
0: We just had this idea that we wanted to share with you about like, especially that could work for, for youth to have a bonus system. So if you walk, you register, you get one bonus or one point, let's say. If you've done 30 minutes twice per week, another two points, I'm just tripping here. And then at the end with this, you get discounts. And as you say, there is a lot of governmental presence in in healthcare industry as well. So, for example, your health insurance gets, um, you know, gets lower, et cetera. This is how we... We were dreaming about it before preparing for this episode. Um, Do you have um, any examples from the world where this has been implemented or have you thought about it within your projects? Because you're doing a lot of projects with the countries there.
2: Yeah. So uh, Singapore um, actually has uh, something like this. Uh, Not not the gamification part, but the national sports ID part, uh, which also Norway has and Denmark is now considering. Uh, so the idea there is that you have this, uh, unique identifier as a citizen that allows you to interact with all of the facilities that a, that on the club side, but also the National Sports Federation side. So here you need to make it easy for people to not have to download 17 apps to do, uh, the activities they want to do or for their, that they want their kids to do. Um, so you, you, you see that in some countries and in, in Singapore specifically, uh, a few years ago, they piloted as well, um, a Fitbit. Um, so Fitbit being one of the wearables, uh, to, um, I think it was like a population number of 10,000 or 20,000 people that they wanted to give the Fitbits for free for, to see what the impact would be on their daily activity. You know, so once you're able to have that, uh, sports ID or connecting your national idea to to a sports infrastructure, then you can do a lot of things. And again, that's where I think the data piece is important. Uh, one of the projects we're working on at the moment is with the European Commission, where we're looking at what type of technological tools does grassroots sports need to be able to modernize. Yeah, modernize being a big, big word. Uh, but again, there you need to make it very simple for these entities to uh, use the tools, you cannot have coders everywhere. Uh, these entities usually are run by volunteers, you know. So anything that can be centralized at the federal—and now when I say federal, I mean like a group with many members or many individual associations—then it should be done, you know. So yeah, I think there's many examples around the world. Um, at in 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 the region, you have the opportunity to experiment at at a local level in places like Abu Dhabi versus like doing it for the whole United Arab Emirates, in Bahrain, perhaps in some municipalities, Saudi, same thing, Um, yeah.
1: Hisham, I'm still walking in your ideal future and I'm looking around, I have my phone, I'm connected digitally and I'm thinking, am I following any superstar, any ambassador? I wanted to connect to what you said before about the importance of uh, royalties, celebrities in the Middle East. So I wanted to ask you, in your ideal future, what is the role of uh, elite players, athletes or even royalties?
2: Yeah, yeah it's a very good point, Donata. They, um, as I mentioned, the patronage culture is, is big and uh, anything usually that a royal does uh, somehow has a ripple effect. Yeah, And um, I'll, I'll go back to the example of uh, running and triathlon in Bahrain specifically. So I was part of this group called the Bahrain Roadrunners, organizing weekly running events and monthly major events. And um, we did 10 events a year. Five of them were multi-sport events, three of them being triathlon. And uh, in 2012, I believe, or 2013, uh, the son of the king uh, attended and witnessed one of uh, the races and uh, somehow got excited about it. And uh, then he actually started to participate in the races. What happened after that was explosion of triathlon. Yeah, People started to, so all of his entourage, people that he interacts with on a daily basis, started to do it. He attracted more people because he went to races abroad uh, and he would train with people. He brought experts into the country. That was around the time that Bahrain also invested in a cycling team. um, And it was led by him specifically. And so this led to kind of the infrastructure we see today in Bahrain. You see a lot of sports entities that have people that came from Bahrain roadrunners. And they are people who were part of the wave that happened because of the catalyst of the son of the king getting excited about this. So for me, like there are thousands of royals if you think about the families that that exist and they all have spheres of influence that they can really uh, touch on the topic of sports or physical activity or diet And so in the ideal future indeed I would expect more from these individuals but not only them uh, also giving space for athletes who beyond their uh, time in the spotlight, you know when they get a medal or they're competing, they're usually marginalized yeah or they don't have a career, Uh, as an ambassador or bringing programs to schools. And so ideally, I would like that connection between elite sports and the masses to be stronger. It's not just about winning medals. It's about the effort of training. It's about living a healthy lifestyle And which now we know people like Ronaldo who plays in Saudi Arabia. The reason he's been able to continue for so long is because he has actually a healthy lifestyle. He sleeps well, he eats well, he hydrates well. And so these are the, the things that should be passed on, you know, not just the goals, but also the way that he's able to train.
0: This actually is a perfect connection to the next part of our conversation is about um, defining the milestones or road towards that ideal future of yours. So you already started talking about it. So how do we reach this future? And uh, again, you mentioned before, let's start by identifying the key actors and actions. So the key actors would be uh, currently um, elite athletes who are competing now, celebrities, uh, royal family. Who else do you think would be able to enable uh, this change?
2: Yeah, the private sector is is still strong. Uh, there's a lot of um, in the region something called like agency. So you have uh, companies and usually family companies that uh, represent global brands in the region. Yeah, so they take the exclusivity to sell one product on behalf of that international brand in the region. These companies are quite big. They're quite big families, quite rich, and they've now turned into kind of like conglomerates. So these guys have um very strong political connections and very strong economic connections. And I believe they they should play a stronger role in, in providing that um space for physical activity. Uh they usually are large employers in, in the tens of thousands in some cases, especially when it gets to like construction businesses and stuff like that. So they um I, I believe would have a, a big role to play. Uh the the second one would be um uh, international actors. You know, so a lot of the entities coming into the region now, uh, they're looking for the big bucks. You know, they're looking for money. They believe all the money's in the Middle East, but they come in just to uh, do their events and, and, and then to leave. So I, I believe it's on the sports uh, community's shoulders as well to do that in terms of international actors. And then finally, government, you know, uh, at the end, government is the biggest employer. It's, yeah, you know, it's still an oil driven economy in many cases, meaning that most of the money comes from from the ground. And that's how the government finances itself. So it is expected to take on this responsibility as well. And uh, yeah, so those are the stakeholders I would identify, which means everybody actually.
0: But talking about the government, since we are talking about responsibility of the cities and the city governments, what are the milestones for them? What should they do and start doing to reach, to make their cities more active?
2: So, um, I, again, I'm not like an urban planning expert, but uh, what I would foresee here is like infrastructure is, is an important piece. Again, going back to that health center ratio that I mentioned earlier, there needs to be an understanding of what infrastructure is needed for communities um, to, to be able to be active, especially in the hot months of the year. Then you need programs. Yeah? So programs meaning uh, people. Yeah, people that are uh, educated, coach certified to be able to run community programs. Uh, and then I go back to that digital piece, which we talked about earlier, which is content and tools. So with these three things, I think like city states um, um, or governments would be in a better position to, to push things forward.
0: And do you know example of any projects that are already um implemented beside the uh, Abu Dhabi 360 and the national day that you mentioned the sports national sports day yeah that uh, would be that, that are already on the path towards that future
2: yeah yeah so uh, again uh, giving an example from Bahrain the uh, son of the king the same person I mentioned earlier um, some time ago was the president also of the Olympic Committee and one of the initiatives there was to set up a hundred, Community football pitches in uh, neighborhoods around the country yeah the, the these are the type of initiatives we need um, because it brings uh, the like the the mandate at the time was to get private sector to invest in these uh, different pitches and to uh, finance the operations for people to go there to program it and so on so um, that that's one example. Another example is uh, the Sport for All Federation in, in Saudi Arabia, which is doing quite a bit of work in terms of, um, I would call it like satellite activities around the whole country, uh, where people are um, educated around sport, uh, allowed to participate in it, and to interact with celebrities and elite athletes and so on. So then those are two initiatives.
1: And so, what are the resources needed to unlock and unleash this future? A- am I right in understanding that uh, perhaps the financial resources are not an issue?
2: Financial resources, yeah, are not an issue when they decide to mobilize it on a topic. Yeah, but when it comes to this topic specifically, um, it's not always given like the capital it needs. Um, part of part of like maybe the the milestones that needs to happen again we go back to data there is a weak there's a weakness today in terms of data collection research academic focus on these topics Um, i'm aware of very few uh, entities yeah that do actual research that put the middle eastern physical activity topic on the global research agenda so i think like besides capital you need data and you need research and you need like a a space to debate these topics.
1: Yes, we we are talking about uh, the fact that in the end it's a return on investment, investing on this for the the government, because in the end it will be cost saving for health in the future, in the long run. And so data is interesting because it, it connects the pieces. So this is something that needs to happen as part of the roadmap to unleash this future. So what do you think are the KPIs for the city and for the government to measure? How will they measure success?
2: Um, it's a good question. I, um, I wouldn't go like to like, the percentage of people doing physical activity. I think that's like, almost the final outcome that we want to arrive at. But to, uh, let's say, drive the development of the system that we're talking about today, you need more like um, a roadmap. Yeah, so a roadmap instead of like specific KPIs, with um, an understanding of like where we want to arrive, from like a health perspective, an education perspective, a nutrition perspective, a lifestyle perspective, an urban planning perspective, um, a sports perspective. You know, if you think about even like elite performance, all of these things are interconnected. So I think what you need first is really, uh, again, I don't want to use like one holistic strategy, but some semblance of what how those things integrate. Uh, And today, nobody is connecting those dots on for for government or within government, you know, it it seems to be something that's intuitive, right, and that we talk about, but there's no real, so I, I would start there, we need like that foundational step first, before moving on to implementation.
1: You actually mentioned before that uh, sports is not owned by one single ministry, right? It's something that is shared uh, across different ministries. So do you think you need the creation of a sport ministry or a sport institution that centralizes all these efforts that you mentioned?
2: Um, so, they're, they're, yeah, the sports ministries today, their job is medals. Yeah, um, That's what their like responsibility is. And by extension, this is what national federations then do. Uh, and those are the entities that deal with each other. National federations, in, in some countries, clubs as well are under the Ministry of Sport. Uh, and none of them have the KPI of getting people active. You know? So um, indeed, I think the Ministry of Sport, as they're structured today, uh, do not have the capacity. Uh, that doesn't mean they won't in the future. But you need other actors to come in to support the development of this capacity or this, let's say, vision for uh, getting people physically active, which we all know drives uh, amateur sports and and, and eventually sports and eventually medals. Um, So yes, I I think you need more actors than than the Ministry of Sport.
1: And so going back to the idea of the international actors, uh, what is their role? Uh, Is it an international federations uh, being responsible for developing the capacity of the national federations? Is it what you see?
2: Yeah, I see, for example, what's happening in the Olympics next year, right? Paris 2024, the marathon will be open to, to the public. Yeah? So um, it seems like both the organizing committee of the Olympic Games, the IOC, actually, as well as World Athletics, thought about this being a good idea, which and I, I believe it's, it's a great idea. So it sounds like there's somebody at World Athletics that is thinking about this right and actually we 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 know this individual uh, he's, he's somebody we know his name is Alessio Punzi, who works on mass uh, mass athletics so th- these individuals if they're given the right platforms um they can be advising um uh, in this case let's talk about the saudi athletics association or the qatar athletics association on how to strengthen grassroots sports how to give more capabilities to the community to organize events and how that drives the elite performance side. You know. So yes, definitely I believe international federations need to play a bigger role. They need to be coming into the region, not just to do their major events and to get paid for those, but actually to take ownership a little bit or like influence uh, the, 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 the bigger part of um, grassroots.
1: Saying on, on grassroots, uh, you mentioned before about the importance on of investing in, in youth uh, young people, uh, how do we give space to uh, young people to voice their ideas, their needs when it comes to uh, sports and physical activity?
2: Um, the, so physical education uh, is something that was part of the curriculum for many years and was a strong part of it. It's it's lost its importance in in the academic curriculum in many, many countries. So I believe if you have a physical education as a strong component of your education, um, in, in the K-12 period, then it already puts you in a good position to, uh, want to continue and be, um, suggestible to doing other activities and sports in the future. So uh, I believe like, yes, we need to hear the youth, but more than that, we need to give them a chance to be more physically active by introducing it in what they do on a daily basis, which is go to school. Yeah. So physical education at schools, I think is something important. One thing, which um, an interesting stat you would like to know is that Saudi after, let's say, opening up sports for girls in schools. Yeah. So this, I imagine like a school in Saudi for girls did not have PE teachers. And now suddenly you need PE teachers across the country.
0: Also, um, females,
2: female exactly, female coach, physical education teachers. There is, there are some estimates that are putting this number for Saudi at a hundred thousand. That need to be trained, coached, certified, whatever you call it, for uh, to be able to go and and teach these girls at schools, but also at universities and then at different entities. Yeah, so um, it's it's a big gap, you know. And uh, there are um, organizations that around the world that can certify, that can coach, that can educate, and these these are not international federations. I agree, there are other types of organizations, but they need to be brought into the fold as well. You know, I was with um, I was in Colorado Springs a few months ago to visit the it's it's the Olympic Training Center of uh, Team USA, and uh, it's become an ecosystem of entities, and one of them is the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And they, um, see the Middle East as an area to grow. So strength and conditioning being for gym teachers, for, uh, gym coaches in private gyms, for clubs and, and so on and so forth. So potentially thousands of individuals that need to be certified and licensed on an annual basis. But there's nobody who has actually asked these guys, what they're considered like the gold standard to come into the region. Yeah. So all of this sports discussion is happening. We want to create a sector and industry out of sports, but nobody's considering how do we certify these people? How do we coach these people? You know, like if we want to get everybody involved, we need to make sure they can actually handle this. And uh, so this this education piece, I, I feel very strongly about the physical education piece, because um, you hear stories about how uh, kids learn sports in schools, you know, over the years, it's kind of like you give a soccer ball to the boys and you give a volleyball to the girls. And there's an hour gone you know that that, that was it uh, but there is no like this is what sports is about it's about fitness it's about you know so again I think for the youth k-12 really important so Ministry of Education needs to get involved in that
0: that's actually again you're doing the job for us great transition for the last part of our conversation which is a call for action
1: what should be done already today and by whom to enable this change?
2: So, uh, a big question, I must say. Um, but yeah, I think we touched on it a little bit in the last few moments as well. So again, um, if we go back to the demographic pyramid, yeah. so there are two parts of the pyramid we should focus on. One is the, the, the largest part, which is the one that will grow old in the next 20, 30 years. Uh, and how do we work on making sure that they consider a physically active lifestyle as something that is possible for them, even though they have not been um, like brought up that way? And then the other portion is how do you focus on the youth? And these two groups are probably uh, the influencing bodies are, are are different. Yeah. So for the youth, I would say the Ministry of Education has a big role to play there, and the Ministry of Sport. Ministry of Education for that physical education piece and making sure that there is programs to bring people to inspire them, to go to uh, sporting events, to um, talk about nutrition, uh, to talk about how cycling uh, can help with climate change, you know, all all of the ways that we know that physical activity can uh, interact with and influence uh, social aspects, economic aspects, environmental aspects. Then with the uh, larger portion you need to create more infrastructure, you need to create more programs, and you need the involvement of, uh, I believe, private sector, um, that is, let's say, regulated and empowered and, let's say, introduced by government. Um, But yeah, those are the two entities, I would say, like two groups of entities, so Ministry of Education, Ministry of Sports for the youth, and then more the uh, private sector, which, again, employs these people, has a possibility to build uh, wellness programs, incentivize uh, for insurance premiums to drop, right? So those type of things need to be thought out more for like the other, there's two sets of populations.
0: And the last question here, what should the city governments do right now? The call for action for them, please.
2: The call for action, uh, I would say, is is to create forums for debating this and, and creating policy around it. You know, they... Um so the Middle East is is not known to be um, a, a democratic region but doesn't mean that debate around these topics doesn't happen right so um i believe there is a lot of people that would want to work on this these topics would want to volunteer their time would want to refocus their their efforts if given the right platform to do so uh, there is very few spaces to talk about this topic right now um it doesn't happen at any government forum it doesn't happen with conferences um so if if they if government was able to uh facilitate that you would then get like a bigger uh wave of people that are contributing to and want to focus on the topic and then you come to the semblance of a strategy which we talked about earlier uh that could be built around this
1: i have a gazillion more questions that i would like to ask and keep on discussing but i think We have to wrap up here and it's been a super interesting conversation that we had with you, Hisham. I've learned many things. Um, Some of the uh, key ideas that I'm going to take away are uh, the uh, distinction between sport and physical activity that can help trigger some change and get people more active. And the idea of giving space, uh, creating space for discussion, like you said, with the forums, but also for action, community-led initiatives, so that uh, this uh, can complement from the bottom up the initiatives that will be led by the government. And Sasha, do you, any, do you have anything to add? I do. I like
0: very much the idea of on, uh, about leveraging on existing tools like national ID and existing infrast- digital infrastructure. It's already there. And uh, it's important, as uh, Hisham said, to start discussing it. So the first action, it's actually bring this topic to the state agenda, to the city agenda, to communities agenda, private sector agenda. So this is very important to start today with and work with what is there already, you know, existing. This idea I liked very much. And we see that this is happening little by little, but the speed of change should be faster if we want to have a healthy population 10, 20 years from now that will be the majority soon.
1: Did, did we miss anything?
2: Uh, no, as you said, it's a, it's a deep topic and uh, we just scratched the surface here, but uh, I'd really like to thank you for creating the space uh, for me to share these ideas and insights. And uh, it got me thinking, your questions got me thinking in, in different ways about the problem and the challenge ahead. So thank you, thank you for that.
1: That's great to hear. Yeah. And thank you very much Hisham for being here with us today and this brings us to the end of our show. Thank
0: you for listening. If you like this conversation don't forget to rate and share. This show is produced by Score Sport Think Tank. We are independent sport thinkers who aim to create safe spaces for sincere discussions.
1: Check out our website, score-sport.com and our LinkedIn page to find more information about this episode and what we do. Stay tuned for the next story.